Well, I'm glad that Tim didn't say I was an expert in the Middle East. I heard a guy define expert one time. He said an X is a has-been, and a spurt is just a big drip. So here we are. Um, I'm here alone. My wife is back in uh, South Jersey. We have a little farm by which we support ourselves while we're here. And uh, somebody had to feed the chickens, the sheep, and the pigs. I mean, you've got to love a woman that will feed your pigs while you go out and have fun, you know? I think I'll keep her. She's, uh, I think we're married like 46 years. It's amazing. So God is good. Um, yeah, I, I told her if we were Roman Catholics, I'd put her up for sainthood, you know? But uh, anyway, uh, if you're interested in the ministry, we have uh, little prayer cards in the back. There's some newsletters. You can sign up uh, to get a newsletter via email. And um, recently I've been, uh, well, I was invited to a missions conference, and I, I wanted to kind of reach out to the younger ones. And, because uh, you know, my days are passing, uh, and, um, you know, Joe asked me, where are you going? I said, my time is short. He says, where are you going? I said, I'm going to heaven, man. You know, what kind of question is that? Uh, but, you know, you, you have this desire as you get older to take the things that God has given you and put them into the next generation. And so we wrote a little booklet about being a missionary, and we're going to expand that. So uh, if it's in your heart and you kind of wonder what a missionary is or should be, um, just a little booklet back there. Feel free to take one. And, um, yeah, there's that. So, what am I doing? Okay, so, yeah, um, 2018, the very end of 2018, we came back to the States. I had a, a grown son that said to me, Dad, every time you come back, you're only here for um, something over there. Keeps blowing my pages. I don't know if we could... Okay, I'll work with it. Um, he said, Dad, every time you come back, you know, uh, every Sunday you're here, you go out to a church. And, and I said, yeah, you know, we're raising money to help the victims of ISIS up in Iraq. And, and he said, yeah, 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 we're so glad. We're proud of you. All of us kids are really proud of you and Mom. He said, but Dad, I need a dad. And that really hit me in the heart because I left home at 18 and hardly, hardly looked back at all, you know, whereas... He just said, you know, I'm out here wandering around. I need a dad. And so we thought about that. It took us two years. <laughs> but we finally decided to come back. And God was so gracious to, to bring us back when he did. Uh, within a year, I had a good solid year, not only with my six kids, but also with my mom and dad who died uh, within that first year. So that's a big deal. When missionaries are overseas, you know, the family's back here and, and you want to be with them. So God was gracious to us. And then COVID came and kind of put the brakes on me going back and forth to the Middle East. Um, I was telling one of the fellows here, I, I didn't want to take that shot uh, because I had had bad reactions to medicines when I was in the Middle East, and it put me in a wheelchair, and I thought, I'm not going there again. I'll wait a couple of years. You know, it took them 30 years to figure out polio was safe, you know, the polio vaccine, excuse me. So I put that off, which meant I couldn't travel. But by God's grace, the restrictions are lifting, and I'll be going back this winter. I'm very excited about that. And if you are here and you are in the medical profession, 
We'll be taking a short-term mission trip. I'm allowed to say that, right? Okay. In February. Uh, and, you know, talk to me or Pastor Tim, and uh, we'll show you how to get started on that. So, um, speaking of the missions trip, our team just came back, one I couldn't go on, and they just came back. And Dr. Laurel wrote this to me. She said, one of my most memorable encounters was a fully covered woman. So she's talking about a Muslim. Fully covered except for her eyes. And... Um, She said she came on Saturday after she had miscarried at home that morning. She showed up without an appointment, and although I suggested she go to the hospital, she insisted on being seen. As it turned out, it was her sixth or seventh miscarriage. She seemed really hardened in spirit until I told her how sorry I was and how difficult it must be to lose a baby. Then she became tearful. And I told her about our assurance that God takes all babies to heaven. When, and she then became tearful, you know, and, and when she heard that, she started to light up a little bit. And then Dr. Laurel pressed in a little bit and told her a story about a woman who had an issue of blood for, I think, 12 years. And she knew if she could just touch the hem of Jesus' garment, she would be healed. So Dr. Laurel told her about that. And uh, then she said, could I pray for you in Jesus' name? You know, sometimes Jesus heals people. He doesn't always, but sometimes he does. And so she was able to pray for this woman. You would be surprised, I think, if you knew the number of people in your own community, as well as around the world, that no one has ever prayed for them. My wife and I are farming And we don't do it just to make a little bit of money. We wanted to be in the community. We pastors get isolated, you know, and when you're in the church, you have people to minister to. So here we are out in the community. And one day there was a woman there, another farmer. And uh, farmers aren't all squeaky clean. I found that out quick. They curse a lot. They get upset with people and, and all this. And, and this gal, she, man, she cursed like a sailor and dressed like somebody who ought to work at one of those bars, you know, where they don't wear much. You know, I mean, it was at the point where when she would talk, I'd look over here. She'd be over here. I'd say, well, that's nice, you know, because I didn't want to look at that. You know, I have a wife. If I, you know, I better watch out here. Anyway... She says, I said, how are you feeling today? And she said, well, I'm feeling really sick. I wish I wasn't here. And I said, do you mind if I tell my wife, Sue? And she said, oh, no, that'd be all right. So Susan goes over to her, gets talking to her. And she said, um, her name was Ashley. And she said, Ashley, um, sometimes God heals people. Not always, but would you mind if I prayed for you? Ashley said, well, I guess that would be okay. That's a lady curses like a sailor, smokes like a chimney. I mean, you know, just not your average churchgoer. And um, so Susan prayed. And when she opened her eyes, Ashley was crying. And she said, oh, I'm so sorry. Did I offend you? Ashley, about 40 years old, she said, no, you didn't offend me at all. But nobody's ever prayed for me in my entire life. Let that sink in. You want to... You want to understand why the world is so crazy? It's because nobody's praying for them. They don't know their love. And I want to talk to you today about knowing who we are in Christ. And, and thank you for the chance to share a Bible study and not just a thousand mission stories. I'd be here all day, uh, you know, with that. But, I, but God's word is so wonderful. 
And uh, I want to look at that with you in just a minute. Uh, Tim did mention the Ukraine. Our focus in ministry has always been on the Middle East. Um, But back in 2014, I was sitting in Bahrain. I'm watching the news on my computer, and ISIS had just rolled in to Iraq, and and they were doing these horrendous things, which I'm not going to go into detail with at this point. But they're doing these terrible things, and I'm looking, and I'm, I, what can you do? So I prayed, and I said, Lord, you know, somebody ought to do something about that. And that still small voice said, well, you're somebody, aren't you? Be careful what you pray for, okay? Well, I said, yeah, I guess I am somebody. And, uh, you know, we worked on getting up there, and so in 2014, I managed to get up into Iraq for the first time, and I went to comfort people. We pastors know how to do that, you know. Well, this pastor cried every single day. The evil that had been done to Christian people, they, they would put a, a mark, which I had tattooed on my arm, so I'd never, ever forget. It's like the cross to us in the Middle East, but it's, it's the letter N or noon in Arabic. And uh, ISIS fellows would put that on the door or on the wall of the house of Christians. And that alerted everybody else in the, in the gang that you can go in and take whatever you want, including 10-year-old girls. I'm a grandpa. Oh, that one got me. Don't, don't even think about it, you know. But they were, they were evil, and, and, and so we went to comfort them. And then this Ukraine thing started, and I'm watching the news again, and I'm like, well, Lord... Somebody ought to do something about that. He didn't even have to answer. I knew what he was going to say anyway. So uh, by God's grace, we alerted our supporters, such as Tim and this church. And uh, another friend of ours put a little public service announcement on the radio for us. And we raised over $50,000 to help with the refugees. Now, what you're not really hearing on the news is 10,000 soldiers, more than 10,000 soldiers, have been killed. That's just the Ukrainians. I don't know how many Russians have died. Over 4,000 Ukrainian citizens have died, including way more than 200 children. It's a mess. And there are 6 million refugees as of the end of last month and 7 million IDPs. That's internally displaced people, people who don't have a home to go to, and they're just kind of maybe living with a relative or something. So um, the way we were able to help is I have a good friend who I met in a uh, refugee camp up on the border of Syria, and it's kind of funny because it was a sandstorm on that trip, and we could hardly see, but it was fun. And we were up there ministering to refugees. So I knew he was in Europe, and I said, he's got to be doing something. His name is Peterus, Peterus Eisens, and he's the head of the Baltic Global Initiatives. And what they've been doing, they come down from Latvia, they get in near the border, they take supplies, food, water, clothing, whatever's needed. And you know when you run away from home with people shooting in your direction, you, don't, you can't carry a whole lot. So they're down, down there blessing. They go down to bless them on the border and inside because there are still some churches and some pastors that are standing strong and they're keeping the churches open. 
and they bless them. And then on the way back, they bring the refugees with them and find housing. So we've housed over a thousand refugees so far, and it continues. And uh, Peter has called me up to give me an update, and he said, you know, we calculated the mileage that we've been putting on the vans. He said, we've actually uh, circumvented the globe twice. You know, just so many back and forth every day. So there are a lot of good people out there doing uh, the things that, you know, Christians are called to do. We're the, we're the salt and the light. We're his hands and his feet, and we go. So that's what's happening in the mission field. And now Tim has given me the privilege to teach the Bible, and I miss that because, you know, the, my sheep, I only have two sheep, you know, Shirley and Betty, and they're really not interested. They just want the corn and the grain, you know. So... Um, but you're God's sheep, and it's an honor and privilege to teach you. So let's pray a second. Lord, we uh, came here to worship you today, and oh, how good it felt to worship you, to open our mouths and sing your praises. What a privilege, Lord. We thank you for that, and we ask you to continue to bless the United States of America that we can people all across this nation can come and worship you freely without fear. We're grateful for that. We're grateful for the love you've given us. We're grateful for the sins you offer to forgive. If only we'll confess our sins to you, you forgive us, and we're grateful for the eternal life you've promised such a joy, Lord, to be counted as one of your children. None of us deserved it, but you reached out and touched our hearts and brought us into your family. We're grateful. So I ask you to teach us today. Fill us with your love and with the assurance of who we are and that you have the future in your hands. You have this day in your hands. So help us to have that assurance and then to be the light and the salt that you call us to be. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please open your Bibles to Psalm 139. Uh, I wrote this a few weeks ago as an introduction to Ephesians 1, so we're going to get there eventually. But it's Psalm 139, and we're going to look at Psalm 8 as well. Um, but, you know, as, as a way of getting into this, you know, there's so much uncertainty in the world today, isn't there? And what's up with America? You know, you're not, you may not understand this, but, you know, when we were praying about coming home, we made two lists. One, reasons not to go to America and reasons to, to go to America. And I got to tell you, that reason of not going to America was pretty strong because the immorality here is, is just something you don't see in the Middle East. Now, I'm not saying they don't do some of the things that are going on here, but it's not public. It's not uh, something we have marches over and we're proud of it, okay? Uh, in fact, in the Middle East where I live, if, uh, if a woman cheats on her husband and he makes a fuss about it, she'll go to jail for a year. Marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman and God, and, and you know, we, we kind of forgot that here in America. So, uh, anyway, there's a lot of crazy stuff out there, a lot of uncertainty. Uh, you know about inflation, but I'll tell you, as a farmer, uh, fertilizer has gone up this year 400%. 400%. All the tractor and tra- uh, tractor trailers, all the tractors in the farms, we all use diesel fuel to get the food to the people. And if you don't hear anything else for your own self-preservation and maybe a way to reach out to your neighbors, start stocking up on food. 
I was selling a tomato plant the other day, or hoping to sell a tomato plant, and the guy said, you know, that's pretty pricey for a tomato plant. I said, brother, come August, I'm going to be selling tomatoes for the same price. You could have bought that and had six tomatoes, but you're going to pay for that one tomato. I'm telling you, it's coming. So be ready for that. But it brings this uncertainty into our hearts, you know, or diminishing stock market, uh, the real weird one, you know, all this confusion about sexual identity and and, and men in women's sports, and, uh, you know, what in the world is going on over here? Uh, and, you know, we have critical race theory, uh, all these uh, mass shootings. People are getting wound up inside, and, and they don't know what to do with it, and they're, they're acting out. It's crazy. And, and then the one that really got me was this, uh, I, I'm a Navy veteran, I was a CB, you know, and when the president made this man who dresses in dresses and wears pearls and lipstick, you know, Dr. Richard, a.k.a. Rachel Levine, he made that guy uh, an admiral in the Navy. I thought, can you slap me any harder? That's embarrassing. You know, in the Middle East, where homosexuality is not tolerated at all, they were flying the gay flag over our embassies. I'm like, oh my goodness, these Arabs are going to start bombing the embassies again. Uh, It's a mess, and all that stuff, well, does it make you feel a wee bit insecure? You really don't know where the future's going, you know, as you see all this stuff, and it's insanity. But I would tell you honestly, just straight from my heart, that if you know who you are in Christ, you will have the security to go through anything, okay? I've lived in dictatorships, I've lived in socialist countries, and I've lived in the good old USA. And you know what? None of that matters because I live in the kingdom of God. And that's where you live. If he's in your heart, that's where you live. So I have a question for you. Do you know who you are? That's the main point of this message. Do you know who you are? And, um, you know, people struggling with insecurity, they don't know who they are. All this confusion, all this gender stuff and all. Uh, But do you know who you are? I read a story recently about an airport in Denver. And, uh, you know, if you've ever, excuse me, yeah, Denver, Colorado. Anyway, it's, it's kind of windy there. A lot of times uh, flights get delayed. And uh, this one agent, a, a female, she had the unenviable task of telling people, well, we'll get you on a plane, but it might not be today, you know. And, and uh, this was going on. There's a long line of travelers. And all of a sudden, this one fellow pushed his way to the front. And he said, I've got to be on the next plane going out of here, and it better be first class. She said, well, sir, you'll have to wait behind these other people, and we'll do the best we can. And he looked at her, and he had a, he was really angry, had a loud voice, and he said, look at me, do you have any idea who I am? With that, she got on the microphone, and she said, may I have your attention, please? We have a passenger here at gate 42 who does not know who he is. If anyone can help him find his identity, would you please come to the gate? That's my kind of gal, you know. It was great. But the question is there, do you know who you are? And I think at one time or another in your life you had the question, especially in the angst of the teenage years, you know, who am I? How am I going to work this out? And a lot of people think, well, if I just had a little more 
power, if I had a little more love, if I had a little more money, if I had a little more this or that, I'd be satisfied. But you'll never be satisfied until you have a little more of Jesus in your heart. And he'll give you exactly what you need. So, you know, we can have this frustration and meaningless. Uh, I was born in 52, so I'm a product of the 60s. And there was a band back then called Country Joe and the Fish. And uh, I said this in another church. The pastor almost like, oh, he wanted to shut the mic off. He thought I was going to say something bad. But this isn't bad. They just had this song. It was called Who Am I? Listen to these lyrics. There were some things that I loved one time, but the dreams are gone, I thought were mine. And the hidden tears that once could fall now burn inside at the thought of all the years of waste, the years of crime, passions of a heart so blind to think that. But even still, as I stand exposed, the feelings are felt, and I cry into the echo of my loneliness. Who am I to stand and wonder, to wait, while the wheels of fate slowly grind my life away? Who am I? That's a really sad outlook. And that sort of outlook comes from comparing ourselves horizontally to the people around us. You ever read the obituaries and somebody's died and they're younger than you and they had all this money and fame and stuff? And you, know, and you think, oh, did I miss my chance? No, no, no. We're, we're looking horizontally. We've got to look vertically. You're the richest people in the world. You have a future that so many don't. You're going to heaven for eternity. It's a wonderful thing. But I find that, again, to reiterate this, it's, it's not until we know who God is that we can then know who we are, because we're in Christ. Is this making sense? Who are you? Do you know who God is? Think back of your earliest memories of, of religion, if you will, and trying to figure out who God is and, and all that stuff. I, I don't know what kind of family you were brought up into, but uh, we had Protestants on Dad's side and and uh, Catholics on the other, and my mom's side, and she was with a bunch of my, her sisters and my cousins. We were all at Granny's house. Granny was this little Irish thing. She was a wonderful, crazy old lady. We loved her. And uh, so we were there, and as kids do, me and my cousin Joey, he's about my age, we started kind of running around the house. And uh, do anybody remember what strollers looked like back in the 50s? I'm not talking these plastic fold-up light things you can carry. No, these things are made like Sherman tanks, you know. And they had metal on them and stuff and big wheels. And when the babies were gone, we boys would steal the wheels and the uh, axles and make go-karts, you know. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, these things were tough. Well, I get between the wall and a carriage and Cousin Joey, and he slams that thing against my head, and I started bleeding out my ear. And my Aunt Shirley came, and she said... God did that to you. God did that because you're bad, and, and, and that's what he does to bad people. And I said, no, 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 wait a second. Cousin Joey did this. She said, well, then it's God getting you for the next time you're bad. Now, that's some twisted theology, uh, if I can say anything. And, and that was my image of God, that when you mess up, he comes after you and slams you with carriages and hits you with bats and things. And is it any wonder I ran away from the church? 
Ran so far, ended up in the gutter, you know, drug addict, Vietnam vet, crazy person. What? How could a guy like me get to God? Well, he got to me. Look at uh, Psalm 139. I want to start out with verse 7. This is David, and he's praying, and he says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, or the depths, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. And when he says, hold me, that phrase means hold me like you would hold a baby in your arms, very securely. I had a guy give a message one time, and he said, yeah, we need to be like babies with God, and we need to hold on to them. And I said, bro, you haven't met my kids. (laughs) You know, you hold them, and sometimes I do like a backflip to get away from you. I want God to hold me. I don't want to hold him. He can hold me. You follow that? But David knew who God was, that you couldn't run away from him. Look at the first verse. He, and, and count the times he says, you. You know, he's talking about the Lord. He says, oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. God knows you intimately. He knows you better than you know you. David knew that. He said, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. He even knows what we're thinking. It's amazing. You search my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. You know, like he can't even comprehend. How could anybody know him so well? God does. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. David's identity was firmly established in God, and that's how he could be the king. You know, to be a king is a difficult job, but he could be a king because he had a king over him who could guide his life and knew all about him. Some folks say, I found God. Do you ever hear that? Oh, I found God, you know. Uh, but the reality is God found you. He, God found you. Romans 3.11 clearly states that. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. And when you're out there running around, and I think the worship leader was saying it in, in his introduction, you know, anybody can, you know, praise and say life is wonderful when life is wonderful. But you know when your witness shines brighter than any other time? It's when things aren't so wonderful. And still you praise the Lord. Still you trust in God. It's an amazing. Now, you say, well, maybe I was searching. I I was searching. No, God was working in your life, messing with you a little bit, trying to get you closer to him. Think about a cat and a mouse. You know, we're on a farm, and we have cats. Their job is to kill the mice. And if, you know, uh, I never saw any mice chasing the cats. They don't do that. Mice stay away from cats. We were like that in our sin and in our iniquity. God was the cat, and he chased us until he caught us. 
You know, Jesus said it in Luke 19, verse 10. He said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Why does he seek us? Because he loves us. Because he blesses us. You know, you're not looking at a skinny old man up here. You're looking at a fat old man. God did that. Thank you, Lord. He's, I, have, I have been with him since September 10th, 1975. And let me brag on his glory. I've never missed a meal unless I was fasting and praying. God has provided all of my needs. Now, there's a difference between needs and wants. But he's smarter than you are. Some of the things you want, you really don't want. And you won't find out until you get it. He promises to give us our needs. So David knew who he was, and he knew that he was nothing without God. Let's turn back a little bit to Psalm chapter 8, or Psalm 8, if you will. This is one of my favorite psalms in the Bible, because it really puts things in perspective. Psalm 8. And by the way, I'm using an ESV. I hope that's legal here. You'd be surprised some of the churches you get to speak at. Just kidding. So here's David, and he's singing this song, and he says, Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. And I like that bit about out of the mouth of babies. I remember one time I was saying grace before a meal. We always ask, you know, thank the Lord for our food, especially when I don't know the cook. I always pray then. But I was praying and I just said amen. And my little daughter, she, uh, she's about three. She said, Daddy... We pray in Jesus' name. Oh, those kids, they'll straighten you out. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? Yet you... I love that everything's about God to David. It's you, you, you. Yet you have made him, you've made man a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. David knew who the Lord was, and that gave him security to be who he was. Created by God to live in the image of God, to be an imitator of God, as we read in Ephesians 5. So, when you know who God is, you know who you are. Now, let's go up to Ephesians. Like I said, uh, I was asked to teach in Ephesians, and this was my introduction to Ephesians. (laughs) You can imagine we didn't get very far in that particular book. Oh, there are you. Okay. Ephesians chapter 1. I go there because Paul is someone who knew who he was. And again, his identity was in Christ. 
So I'll read verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. You know, these letters were written to specific people historically, but I believe these letters were written by the Holy Spirit to us universally, and they supersede all time. So when he says these things, you, you need to imagine truthfully, that this is God speaking to us. So here's Paul, and he writes, Paul, that's his name. But had Paul always been his name? No, his name was Saul. Remember, he was the great avenger. He was going to wipe out those people that weren't woke. <laughs> you know, There's going to, you're going to see some Sauls running around here pretty soon if you haven't felt it already. You know, people losing their jobs because they don't speak correctly, think correctly, uh, and what they mean is incorrectly. The Bible's the correct way. Our morals, our worldview should be rooted in Scripture, and when it's not, that doesn't mean you're missing it, but there's a whole lot of them out there missing it, and they start to call us haters when we're really just trying to lovingly stand up for the truth. That's, that's, a, that's a whole other story. But here he is, and we know, okay, at this point, his name is Paul. He's given his life over to God. And do you know what Paul means, literally, anyone? That's right, brother. It means small, humble. And when you see who you are, and you thought you were a hot shot, you know, and then you realize who God is, and he has the power to knock you off your horse and blind you, and then to heal you, wow, I'm pretty small in relation to that. We live not too far from the ocean, and, you know, sometime in the winter when all the tourists are gone, it's good to go out and look at that ocean. Think about it. Think about all the sand that's under there. Remember God said to Abraham, you're going to have children that will number more than the sands and, you know, along the ocean there. And, uh, it really puts you in perspective. We're not the big shot we thought we were. So Paul, small, humble, that's his name. He's an apostle. An apostle is a Greek word that means ambassador. And, uh, you know, living overseas, especially in Bahrain, I got to meet the American ambassador. He was a great guy when I was there. Uh, there had been one before him who was kind of of the other persuasion of thinking. But this guy knew the Lord. And he was our ambassador for the United States. And, uh, man, I was there a couple times when he was asked by the king to give a speech. And he would always start out talking about how America and Bahrain had relations, how, how it began. And it didn't begin with oil. That came in 1932. It, was, it began earlier when a man named Samuel Zwamer went there with a medical team, started the very first hospital in Bahrain, okay, in all the Middle East, that area of Saudi Arabia and Bahrain. In fact, when it came time to have post boxes, the Bahrainis gave the American Mission Hospital post box number one. Isn't that amazing? I was there because a hundred years before me, a man came in the name of Jesus and healed people, and he started a school where the king's kids went to school. Not the current king, but, you know, his grandfather. And, you know, never forget the people that went before you. Boy, we, you know, we just had Memorial Day, and I know it's about the vets and all that and the, the military guys, but we need to look at Memorial Day and think about the people who shared Christ with us. 
The people who went out and started churches like this building, and, 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 you know, gosh, we need to honor them. It's part of who you are to find security. This Christian thing didn't just start. It's been here for 2,000 wonderful years. So an ambassador is someone who has a message. He's commissioned by someone else to go out and speak. Now, because we had a president who said he was a Christian, the ambassador in Bahrain could talk about missions, and he could talk about the Lord, and he could talk about his faith. Whereas the, over at the military base, they were like, okay, guys, you can talk about anything, but don't tell them you're a Christian, and don't talk about religion. Half of my church were military guys, and I, I would say, guys, talk about your faith, talk about Jesus, talk about your religion. Because in the Middle East, everybody believes in God, or at least they say they do, and now you're going to come along and say, well, I'm from America, we don't talk about that. Well, then they're going to think there's something wrong with you. Isn't it amazing? I mean, they got the God thing off a bit, you know. Uh, they, they need Jesus. They still need Jesus. But it's so easy to talk to people about God in the Middle East because, of course, there's a God. Try that over here. It might take you two years to convince your neighbor there's a God before you can even talk about Jesus. Over there, zoop, they go right to Jesus. They want to they know your take on who he is. But who are you going to tell them? What are you going to tell them? You're going to tell them what's in God's word, right? Because you're just an ambassador. You're speaking on his behalf. And so Paul was an ambassador. He was commissioned by Christ. Then he mentions Christ Jesus. Christ is his title. It defines his purpose. And what was his purpose? What does Christ mean? Messiah. Okay? In Arabic, we're Messahiyin. We're the followers of the Messiah. That's what they call us, Messahiyin. And Paul knows that being an apostle, an ambassador, is God's will for him. He says that. Uh, By the way, Jesus was the Christ name, okay? He's not Jesus Christ, no matter how many of your co-workers yell that out when they get upset. That's not his name. That's his title. Jesus is his name, and Jesus means uh, one who saves, I believe, or the Savior, yeah. Joshua. So Paul knows he's an ambassador and he knows that it's God's will for him. In fact, Paul knows it's God's will for all of his followers to be apostles. He wrote that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. He said, we Christians are ambassadors for Christ. And we have the joy of telling others. The joy of telling others the life-saving and fulfilling message of Jesus. And it is a treat. I love to see people's eyes light up when they realize who Jesus is. Now, who is he writing to? In verse, the, the rest of that verse, it says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Well, Ephesus, as you know, is a city on the west coast of Turkey. That's where this church was. Uh, but Paul is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this to all faithful saints. A faithful saint isn't, you know, you don't get to wear robes and weird stuff like that, pointy hats and all. You don't have to wait till you're dead 300 years till somebody says you're a saint. You might want to wait till they're dead 300 years before you quote them because all kinds of things come out. But you are a saint. Anyone who's received Jesus into his or her heart is considered a saint. You know, God takes you from sinner to saint. A wonderful thing. 
Then Paul gives a salutation or a greeting in verse 2. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wants grace and peace for us, and that's what God wants in your life. He wants you to have grace. He wants you to have peace, and that's wonderful. Could any of you use a little grace and peace this morning? If you don't think you need any, turn on the news tonight. You'll need a lot. (laughs) But it's interesting, and Pastor Tim probably told you this. Look at that order. You don't get the peace until you receive the grace. It's in the grace of God, knowing that you're saved, knowing that your sins are forgiven, that you're going to heaven, that he's got the whole world in his hands. You know, I heard somebody say one time I was looking in the newspaper and I thought, man, the world is falling apart. He said, but then I looked in my Bible and said, no, it's all falling right into place. We can get through this, folks. We can get through it. But grace always comes before peace. And all those people asking, who am I? And they don't know their identity and their gender and all this crazy stuff and their pronouns. You know, I went to school in the 50s. We knew our pronouns. You'd fail the test if you didn't know your pronouns. Now I fail the test every time I open my mouth. I don't get it. Oh, my goodness. I'm sorry. But remember, (laughs) this is the message of Ephesians as well as what we read in Psalms. It's not until you know who God is, deep in your heart, down deep in your knower, it's not until you know who God is that you will know who you are. And once you know who you are, there's no holding you back. You can love your neighbor. You can love those weird relatives. God put you in that family for a reason. (laughs) Oh, Some of my relatives are like the groundhog, you know, if you garden. I said, if there's ever a Q&A session in heaven, I'm going to ask, why did you create the groundhog? (laughs) It just bites all my fruit and, you know, all the vegetables and stuff. I guess he had a reason. Well, what follows Paul's introduction here is the longest sentence in the Bible. Uh, And Paul's so excited to speak about God's blessings that he ran on without pause from verse 3 to verse 14. Um, And, you know, I encourage you to read those because uh, he really lays out the the principles of the blessings. Um, Ephesians is such a book, you can divide it easily into half. Chapters 1 through 3 are God blessing us, and then 4 through 6 are our response. Somebody once said, Ephesians begins in heaven and ends in the home. It's a good book to study. But we need to wrap this up. And I began this message with a non-Christian song entitled, Who Am I? So I want to end the message with another song uh, with the same title, but this is by a band called Casting Crowns. Perhaps you know the song. Who am I? Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt? Who am I that the bright and morning star would choose to light the way for my ever-wandering heart? Not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. I am a flower quickly fading, here today, gone tomorrow. A wave tossed in the ocean, a vapor in the wind, 
Still you hear me when I'm calling. Lord, you catch me when I'm falling, and you've told me who I am. I am yours. Who am I that the eyes that see my sin would look on me with love and watch me rise again? Who am I that the voice that calmed the sea would call out through the rain and calm the storm in me? Not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. And you've told me who I am. I am yours. I am yours. I am yours. And you see the mess outside these walls and you think, Lord, somebody ought to do something. Remember that in Christ, you're a somebody. And you may be that very somebody that God wants to use in that particular situation. God loves you. God trusts you enough to send you out there. On the other side of those doors is the mission field. A lot of hurting people that nobody's ever prayed for. God may very well use you today if you're open. Be open. Let's change this world while we're yet here. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Father God, we do stand today before you, not in any sense of pride or privilege, but we stand before you because we know that you are our God that you called us, Lord, that you, you, you saved us from the sin and wretched people that we were. You did that through the blood of Christ on the, on the cross. We're so grateful for that. And now, Lord, we're, we're seeing things that we haven't seen in a long time all around us. And, Lord, sometimes these things trouble us. But we would just simply ask, Lord, to, to use us, even us, Again, not pridefully, small, humble like Paul. So we open ourselves to you. Be the, let us be the salt. Let us be the light. And let you get all the glory. Bless this church, Lord, everybody that came out today to worship you. Bless Pastor Tim and the, the leadership of this church that they're always right there on their knees seeking you before making decisions. Lord, we, we're grateful to have a church where your word is being taught and that your comfort is given through one another. Thank you, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.